This is not justice! Fuck justice! Were you thinking about justice when you screwed Kozlov's girlfriend? You want me to tell your family about that? You want me to tell your daughter? You think that case just landed on your desk by accident? I gave it to you, you arrogant fuck. Victor works for me. Oh, and I had you followed. See, people don't want justice. They want good and evil. Big, bright stories told with conviction. That's what we do. That's what you did. You wrote a big, bright story told with conviction. Well done. Welcome to part two of our Dark Crimes episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed, and we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. Alex, as, as it's been the case for over a month now, we're in the middle of the patron takeover, so that means that just patrons from every tier are just picking what's on the main feed. But there's also a lot of action happening just on the patron feed. Um, if you start at the ground floor, if you're on the Travolti's tier, just $1 gets you access to all the stuff that gets cut out of uh, the episodes. This particular episode, uh, I know that there, <laughs> there's some uh, uh, things that I'm going to cut out uh, that I said. Uh, you know what I'm going to do? I was thinking about this during the break. I'm going to bleep what I said, and I'm just going to put your reaction. And so patrons are just going to be wondering <laughs> what I said that got you to uh, to react that way. Tremendous. Uh, yeah. So you want to hear that? Start with the Travoltis here. Uh, and then, of course, you're also going to have access to our bonus episode. We always do at least one every month. This one is special. Alex, we have so much stuff from patrons on the main feed that we're going to claim a little bit of space uh, on the patron feed just for us. And just for us means that we are picking the movie and letting everybody else listen to our discussion. And mm-hmm. this is sort of a an epilogue to our Roxena conversation. <laughs> I mean, it'll be an epilogue on the side of the rock. Uh, feels like the most recent movie, the last movie we talked about in that miniseries uh, when it came to the rock was Skyscraper, mm-hmm. which was not much of a high point to end up on, especially when compared to the last Cena movie that we did, which yeah. was uh, Vacation Friends. So so let's give The Rock a chance to redeem himself with with a movie that uh, I think whether we like it or not has a lot more going on than Skyscraper, uh, a movie that's come up in our discussions time and again, and that is Southland Tales. Hell yeah. A movie that's way too complex <laughs> To, for us to tackle on a on a main episode, it would be exhausting trying to do it like a real uh, full episode on that. Yes, but we can definitely just untangle it, have a a serious discussion about it on the Patreon feed. What's so, the guy? Richard Kelly is that his name? Yeah, Donnie Darko's Richard Kelly. Yeah, Southland Tales. If you've never seen it, brother, that is quite the piece of business. And obviously, buckle up. Yes, uh, not even going to spoil things for you. It's just. <laughs> Every other minute in that movie is, is that, is that, <laughs> is that, and also has a tremendous musical number. Uh, yes. Looking forward to it. Yeah. That's, uh, I haven't watched that movie since it came out. Free on Tubi currently. Is it? Man. Mm-hmm. I own it on Blu-ray, so, you know. Um, of course you do. Yeah. Big DJ fan that you are. 
it's trust me that guy's never gonna make a movie like this again so we should celebrate it every chance we get (laughs) all right so that's that's gonna be on the patron feed again one dollar gets you access to that and all the other bonus episodes that we have uh that we've put out over the two years plus that we've had a patron uh a patron channel and now you move up a tier higher to the winonis and upwards you get also our pre-recording notes all our what the fuck is going on in this Jim Carrey movie notes. And then you also have access to our QVRs, the quick video reviews. This month, Alex, is the first installment of a dual QVR, something else that we're doing this, during this patron takeover. And I think we actually called this pick out a few episodes ago. Uh, patron Paul Myers, Filmbusters Paul, wants us to do a quick video review of Teen Titans Go to the Movies. So... It'll be a, a beautiful, joyful experience as we watch it together, or at least at the same time. Why not? Yeah, I think we'll sync up our watches, and uh, we'll start the movie at the same time. We'll record, as, as these QVRs go, we'll get on Werby, do a little video introduction with what we expect of the movie. Then we'll stop the call, watch the first half of the movie, come back to Werby, exchange ideas, talk about where things may be going. And then uh, finish the movie, and then come back to where we. It sounds exhausting, but it actually should be a lot of fun. <laughs> yes, exhausting for you and I, but for the the end product for our listeners, it's hopefully it's going to be going to be banging. Eighty four minutes, so we're already off to a good start. Yes, like uh, it can't it can't make you angry. Uh, worst case scenario, it will confuse you. I don't know how familiar you are with the Teen Titans, but uh, I'm not, know- and I'm not going to do any research going into it. Good. Good. I know Paul is a big fan. That's all I know. Um, so that's on the quick video review side of it. And then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we talk about other things that we're watching, reading, listening to, thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Well, Julio, as as we've become accustomed to doing, we're recording in the future. So by the time... After Hours goes up for this episode, I will have gone to and returned from Los Angeles for WrestleMania 39. So that whole trip will be recounted, recapped, talked about. Unless Cody Rhodes loses, then I'm just deleting all social media and never leaving my house again. <laughs> just shutting down. That's right. So that that's what I'm going to be discussing. What about yourself? And well, Alex, I had, as it's it's become an annual tradition, that Joe Ketchum from the Word Salad podcast will hit me up after the Oscars and we'll record an episode about the documentary, the best documentary nominees, and especially the winner. Usually, like we've done it like two or three times before, and uh, every time we've been able to watch all five, this is the first year that we only watched the first three out of the five because the other two were not streaming. They are now, but you know when we record it, we're not. So I'm going to give you my quick thoughts on All That Breeds and Fire of Love, which are two of the nominated documentaries. Uh, I'll tell you about those because the the winner, Navalny, uh, that's the one that I discussed at length with Joe on his show. I Personally, my favorite was All That Breeds, and I, I would like to maybe try to get you to watch it. So it'll be a, a dog-heavy side of the after hours for me, which I think will balance out nicely with the, the wrestling-heavy side of your after hours. Do you think... You're going to be telling me more about WrestleMania or about L.A. overall? Oh, just my trip. Yeah, I 
I, I pick my scenarios to explain wrestling to you. I'm honestly like the the entire reason I'm going is Roman Reigns versus Cody Rhodes. Like that's I wasn't planning on it, but when Cody won the Royal Rumble, I was just like, I I have to go. I have to be there for this match. But in the time since, I've made plans to like go to a Dodgers game and the wrestling events I'm going to el- otherwise. I've selected based on their venue, like historic, like Los Angeles venues that I've wanted to see. So it's going to remember that trip I took to Toronto a few years ago. That was for wrestling, but I ended up just doing a bunch of local shit. That's what it's going to be like. So what I will be telling you about will be more my experience of going to Los Angeles because I've never been there before. And it's obviously one of the cultural hubs of our nation. Can't be avoided. You have to be there at least once in your life. And I'm hoping to go to Universal Studios as well. And so if I do that, obviously, I'll want to regale you with all those tales. All right, so Mr. Mattis goes to Hollywood, uh, <laughs> and then uh, two of the nominated documentaries that didn't win, All That Reads and Fire of Love, that will be your after hours, and you can find that on our Patreon channel along with all the other stuff we were talking about. If that sounds interesting, go to patreon.com slash contrarianprime, look at our tiers, and join the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10, our respective tiers, go drop a buck in our basket you know just imagine it's like we're outside of a movie theater just talking about movies for you know change and so drop it drop a dollar in take a look around see what we got uh by the time this episode drops i don't think it'll be up yet but our first episode in our Lindsay lohan mega arc uh will be coming in the month of april so be sure to stay tuned for that you're definitely going to want to check that out very excited about that project we have coming to all of our current and existing patrons love y'all so dearly and as i like to say we are taking applications which we will promptly review and approve that covers the pleasantries with our patrons past present and future Julio, let's get this fucking episode over with. <laughs> let's, let's dive into the, the nasty side of having patrons when they make you watch movies like these, uh, movies like Dark Crimes. Let's go to Real Talk. Is that part of the show? I can't tell anymore. So, Alex, I don't know. How do you do you want to just do the quotes? <laughs> And then we, and then we talk about dark crimes, and then we each uh, go think about life, go our separate ways. Well, go yeah, let's separate ways. Let's do the quotes because I'm look. I want to get those out of the way so we can discuss why Jason Nerd Revert brought this to us. I'm very <laughs> curious his motivations. And you know, I, I joke. This is. I'll just go ahead and say this is not the worst movie we've done, but it wasn't necessarily something that was fun to watch. And. Um, this will be easier than the first part because obviously the first part we had to recount mm-hmm. a bunch of really nasty things that happened in this movie. But zero um, percent—that means there were no red tomatoes. I assume you went to uh, Letterbox for these. No, no, no. I just went for. I, I decided to go with more green splotches. I was oh, yeah. not going mean, to look for positive you, quotes when you accomplish something like a zero percent, or it's worth celebrating. So let's hear mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's double down on the negativity. <laughs> We're going to start with Alci Rengifo from Entertainment Voice, who says, Dark Crimes is a film that doesn't work with a performance that actually works pretty well. Which performance do you think uh, he's talking about? He or she? Alci. I would assume James Carey, and then I would quickly be like, hmm. <laughs> well, 
you'll notice a, a, a common element in all the in the three quotes that I picked, Alex. Because next is Michael Rechtschaffen from Los Angeles Times, and he says Carrie's quietly exacting, uncharacteristic performance, though not qualifying as a saving grace, hints at some promising new career directions. In the same manner, Robin Williams successfully tapped the darker side with one-hour photo. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> You don't think this is uh, Jim Carrey's one-hour photo? Well, no, specifically because that was a good movie, and this isn't a good movie with a, <laughs> a shitty ending, but still a good movie nonetheless. And also, like Robin Williams had a legitimately chilling performance in that. This just seems like, uh, well, we'll wait before I get to my um, suspected motivation. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, Jonathan Barkin from Dread Central says, Dark crimes may be bolstered by Carrie's nuanced and fascinating performance, but the thoroughly unpleasant film feels like it simply wants to punish viewers. So that's uh, three very, uh, I was going to say, very enthusiastic responses to Jim Carrey's performance. But I mean, they're not enthusiastic, at least appreciative. And we're going to close with, with the man himself, Jason Nerdrovert, who says... No, it's not a good movie. And good is in quotation marks. <laughs> it's not a good movie. The article it's based on is far more interesting, but the performance we get from Jim Carrey does not get the respect it deserves. It's one of his best non-comedic performances. He commits and does his best to try and give us a better movie than what we got. So, Okay. I can respect that. Would you... I mean, this is kind of like jumping to the end, but would you just recommend this movie on the basis of the Jim Carrey performance? Um, depending on the audience, maybe because it is so short, it's a interesting footnote blip happening, I guess. Yeah. I don't know what he's going for. And I I don't, I don't think he's particularly good, but <laughs> I, gonna say, I don't know what he's going for and I don't care. Well, that too. But yeah, I don't think, I, I don't know. I don't agree with that wholly because I think he's trying. Okay, so here's my whole theory on this movie is that Jim Carrey is so and we should all be so lucky. You know, he made Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber back to back and The Mask I think was somewhere in there too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's like his holy trilogy at the beginning of his career. And when you make that kind of money in that short a period of time, if you're smart, you don't have to do anything again. And obviously Jim Carrey seems to like acting and obviously wanted to continue. And he went on to make other things that made just obscene amounts of money, like the Grinch and, you know, had legitimately great films like the Truman show, which you and I have both fawned over repeatedly. But my theory is that he got to a point pretty early on where he was able to just completely disassociate himself from like the, the solar system of Hollywood, the ecosystem of it and mm -hmm. literally just pick and choose to do whatever he wanted. And that's why if you look at his career from 2000 on, it's a strange, like yep. assortment of movies, you know, we're talking like the majestic and then Bruce almighty eternal sunshine of a spotless mind. And then fun with Dick and Jane. And then, you know, like things like Yes Man and Mr. Popper's Penguins. It's just obvious that uh, Burt Wonderstone, where he plays Chris Angel in that, he's actually pretty funny in that. But my point is, 
he can just do what he wants and is completely removed from the happenings, the should and should nots, the do's and don'ts that he really does just pick it to do what he wants. And I don't know how this movie came across, you know, his periphery, but yeah, I can completely believe he just was like, yep, I'll do this and did not give a fuck what anyone said or has said about <laughs> it since. And it's obvious that he doesn't need the money and that he's trying really hard in this. So he must have thought something about the story of the script, like spoke to him. But the problem is the movie's so disjointed. And maybe like if we have like the the Snyder cut of this, maybe his performance is a bit more coherent. But, you know, the movie's just so poorly made that when it was over, I was like, man, there were scenes of him like really going for it in ways that I haven't necessarily seen Jim Carrey go for it before. But when it was over, I was just like, what the fuck was that? Um, <laughs> so in review, basically summarizing that diatribe I just went on, I can understand how he got into making this movie and why he gave so much to it. And I think there are some really good parts to it. It's just, it's a really poorly made movie. Uh, there's some really good parts from him, I should say. Some really interesting moments of acting and presentation. But the movie's just so poorly made that I wasn't at any point really able to enjoy it. So does any of what I just unleashed on you make sense? That word salad. <laughs> Yes, it does. And it actually, it's funny because what you just said makes a lot more sense than what was going through my head. Because you're right. Unless he has completely mismanaged his resources, you're right. He didn't do this for the money, you know, like because he's hurting for work or any of those things. But funnily enough, maybe because I don't see him in movies very often these days. Mm hmm. When I was watching this movie, I was like, what happened to Jim Carrey's career that he found himself in this movie? And, and the way that you just recounted, like, I know that you don't know for sure, but that sounds pretty plausible. In my mind, I was thinking, did he just get shut out of Hollywood that he had to just take this polished production <laughs> and that was, of course, more than happy to have him playing against type but as far as, you know, he seems like a smart guy. So he has to have known that that this was not great. Uh, I don't think anybody involved probably anticipated a 0% in Rotten Tomatoes and just yeah, like yeah. an overall shutdown. But he has, you know, like I can see him saying like, oh, I can do something. You know, the selling point is for him is like, hey, you get Jim Carrey. You're going to get Jim Carrey, a big name. Uh, and I get to do something that's not my brand. And so that's going to bring people in. You get to go and, on a vacation uh, to Poland for a month. Yeah, the, the nastiest part of Poland, but still. Uh, because look, this is uh, what I did is as soon as the movie was over, I went to pull his filmography because I'm like, when was the last time that he led a movie? And uh, it is Mr. Popper's Penguins <laughs> back in 2011. <laughs> he has, uh, you know, he was a leading man through the the first, you know, from 2000-2010, uh, Fun with Dick and Jane, Series of Unfortunate Events, Number 23, Yes Man, I Love You, Philip Morris, A Christmas Carol. Very underrated, by the way. His Christmas Carol is fantastic. Oh, yeah, you've praised it before. I yeah. still haven't seen it. Uh, but, but all those are Jim Carrey vehicles, right? And then you get into 
uh, Burt Wonderstone, where he's just a supporting character. Kick-Ass 2, he's a supporting character. Uh, okay, well, he did Dumb and Dumber 2, which, but that almost feels like desperation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Bad Batch, his supporting character. Then he does Dark Crimes. Dumb and Dumber uh, 2, you know, that was like the Fairley Brothers. I'm, I've always wondered if like it was a favor to them from both mm-hmm. Carrie and Daniels, but... I didn't mean to cut you off. It's just, I've never seen that. And I, ne- I have no intention ever seeing it because Dumb and Dumber is one of my favorite comedies ever. And there was no fucking purpose to that. Yeah. Uh, I actually had it playing in the background the other day while I was editing. because uh, it's on Tubi. But it was muted. So I, was, I would just look up from, you know, time to time. I was like, they, it's weird, you know, because if you're not paying attention, you're like, oh, they just, they look the same. But then the moment you start paying attention, they're like, oh God, no, they're like, so much older now. <laughs> Pick up the pen. Pick it up! You know how to sign your name, don't you? Do it. Looking at it without doing the, the thinking that you did <laughs> when you were giving me that speech, it almost feels like an actor that just fell from grace, right? And he was having trouble finding projects, uh, just getting supporting parts. But really... Now that I'm thinking about it with everything you said, no, it makes more sense that he was just done. <laughs> you know, I, I, that's my my theory is that my hypothesis is that Jim Carrey did Mr. Popper's Penguins and he's like, you know what? I have enough money that I don't have to do this. The entire world knows what they get when they uh, cast Jim Carrey, when they go watch a Jim Carrey movie. So I don't need to prove anything to anyone. Uh, I'm just going to take it easy for a while. I'm just going to take small parts where I can have fun, but I don't have to commit to leading a movie. And then somehow he lands on dark crimes. Not out of necessity, but more because he's kind of an off-the-wall dude. I mean, we both watched that uh, documentary. Uh, was it Andy and me? Me and Andy? Jim and Andy. Jim and Andy, right? And, and we talked about it on the show whenever it is that, that we both watched it. But he comes across as a pretty quirky guy, you know, kind of eccentric and... Uh, I'm not going to uh, uh, stay up all night trying to figure out how Jim Carrey's brain works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that if I had to guess, he arrived at Dark Crimes kind of on a whim. Because <laughs> you would think, I, I even like went and looked at the trivia to see if there was, you know, maybe he read the article and he spearheaded the, the production, but it didn't say anything about that. There's very little information. You would think they would trump it his involvement if he was more than just the main actor there you know it's oh it's a jim carrey passion project this is his uh battlefield earth but uh but no i mean he's just he's just there it's just weird because he's playing a polish man which is just i don't know (laughs) i understand that you want a hollywood star but it just feels like such an odd an odd choice and i think he's okay i mean I get the feeling that Jason likes the performance more than I do. And uh, same goes for all those quotes that were praising his performance. I think he's really good at times, but I can't get past the fact that it's Jim Carrey. Yeah. Did you ever not see him as Jim Carrey playing a serious role? No. And it's again, it's because it's not from lack of his trying. It's just this movie's, and you know, not for nothing, not for nothing, Cole. Charlotte Gainsbourg is a respected actress in her own right too. And that's probably the closest to engaged I was in this movie were the scenes where they were playing off each other. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I felt like they were on equal footing 
Like the guy who plays Kozlov is not particularly good. No disrespect, brother, if you're listening. But it, then, like I said, might not be your fault. This movie is just shite. And um, <laughs> well, but, I think that they have to. Uh, like we mentioned, when was it? I think it was a uh, nice out. We were talking about the. No, it was Scream Two. <laughs> How Jerry O'Connell is stuck playing one note. Uh, and that note sucks, but that's because they have to keep the possibility that he might be the killer. And I think here it's also, you know, the movie won't let you know if this guy is a murderer or not until the very end. And so that means that he has to play everything kind of ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that doesn't live, doesn't give him any room to be interesting, you know, because he has to, everything he says has to be, has to be able to be read both ways like he's guilty or he's innocent or he's just fucking with jim carrey so i'm gonna say that maybe it's not his fault but yeah he's, he's the least compelling out of those three the orgasm thing really was when i was just like all right i can't do this you know and it's <laughs> it's not to say there's not a movie that exists where jim carrey has a fairly graphic sex scene that it works in the context of it but it's like any type of sex scene like that if the lead into it is not good and does not feel merited warranted what have you it's just not gonna pay off it, like i told you the last time i watched shame i think the first i think when we saw shame together in the theater i was just kind of taken by the presentation it was very stylized and there's some really good acting in that it was just kind of um a spectacle but then when i watched it again and that scene where he's having the three-way and he's like looking into the camera and we're supposed to like understand his despair it's like fuck off and that's the whole thing here of like what am I supposed to take away from this? You know, he's he's become what he's hunted. But <laughs> he's, then he he's like a he broken clear, man, damaged. He, he clearly just came harder than he's ever come in his whole life, and <laughs> so that was kind uh, of the point seen, point of no return for me. Have you seen Big Joe Black? Mm, is that Brad Pitt? Mm-hmm. No. So uh, there's a scene that is, I mean, I was going to say similar, but they're, they're very different. But the, the similarity is that he has a sex scene with, uh, I think it's Claire Forlani, and uh, the camera stays on Brad Pitt's face. And I remember he's on top or if he is under, but it's, it's definitely, the intensity is different than the intensity of the Jim Carrey shot here. But it is intense because the, the entire idea is that uh, in that movie, uh, death, like the the you know the the spirit of death or whatever you want to call it, has taken over Brad Pitt's body. Like Brad Pitt died in a car accident, like a, a car hit him and killed him, mm-hmm. and then death took his body, and now he's walking around in Brad Pitt's body, and uh, he's come to collect the soul of uh, Anthony Hopkins. But Anthony Hopkins strikes a deal with him where he's gonna let him live through the weekend or something, and. In the meantime, death is just going to walk around being human and experiencing humanity. And part of those experiences is having sex with Anthony Hopkins' daughter. And so it makes a lot of sense to keep the camera on Brad Pitt's face because that's death having sex for the first time. <laughs> and yeah. uh, it's not it's not played for laughs either. I mean, the, the movie is, I guess you could say it's a dramedy, but that scene is supposed to be kind of romantic. But you understand, right? You're like, I get why the camera's here, and I get what I'm supposed to take from it. It's like death's mind is being blown by human sex. Now here, it's a little. On one hand, I think it's a little easier. Is what you were saying, you know? Yeah, he just had the best sex he's had in like who knows how long, and that just shows how miserable his life is. But at the same time, 
it's not like it's telling us anything about this character that we didn't know from the previous hour of the movie. No. We know that he's miserable. We know that he's just all fucked up and You know, it's angry. a great... It's not in the same tone, but I th- we brought this up recently on another episode. The el- election, where we get that long oh, shot yeah. of Matthew Broderick, like, you know, we're making eye contact with him while he's going to town. And it's unsettling and to the point of kind of funny, but it, it's... It has purpose, you know, because we learn something about this character and he learns something about himself during this moment. Whereas this is just like, eh, okay, I saw Jim Carrey, like, <laughs> uh, tape as a great follow on Letterboxd and also Twitter. Um, I've had a lot of like back and forth with them. I, I think he's, yeah, he's a dude. He's posted selfies before, but he's one of those guys who like his thing just says tape in all caps. And so mm-hmm. you. I don't know his name or anything, but he's funny. And he's, a good, like I said, really good follow on Letterboxd. And his review of this, he gave it one star. He said, punishingly slow. The story never gets out of first gear and Carrie's performance is committed, but not any good. At one point, Carrie nuts for a solid 20 seconds and it might be the highlight <laughs> of the film. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's definitely one of the things you're going to be talking about after. It's. I agree. See, I, I think that... I can 100% get behind the praise for the commitment. You cannot say that Jim Carrey did not give it yeah, it, his he's, all. He's not sleepwalking through this in any you know stretch of the expression. He definitely he committed to this, and that's admirable. Yeah, I just think that uh, I agree with you. Like it, it's just that the movie doesn't give him many places to go. You know, as handicapped as the bad guy is, the, the writer Jim Carrey only has so much to do. Uh, with all this commitment that he brought to the movie. Because <laughs> oh, there's a lot of him just kind of like walking around and looking at things and, and just being sad. And I hardly ever let accents distract me because, for one, I have a really hard time placing them. So if you tell me that's not the right accent, I'll be like, I believe you because I can't tell. So you know it's really bad when I can tell that an accent is not consistent. And that kept taking me out of the movie. It, it feels almost nitpicky, but I, I legit thought that he was American at the beginning. And now that we're in real talk, I can say it's because he sounded American. I don't think he had like, I think that his accent gets stronger as the movie goes on, which doesn't make sense. But it just kind of annoyed me because it just kept me thinking, why not just make him an American character then? You know, it's like, if you're going to, if you're, hard set on casting an American actor in this role. Just make him an American. It doesn't change anything that mm-hmm. the, 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 he's Polish, you know? I think, fuck, if anything, I think it makes the story more interesting if you make him uh, somebody that's, you know, he's an immigrant because that adds a layer of friction between him and the people that he's investigating. Can you remember where you were the night Sadowski vanished? Can you answer the question? No. <laughs> The other thing is, like, I like so much of what he's done uh, in his career that, you know, this is this is an impressive effort. But, I mean, it doesn't touch more conventional performances of him. Like, for me, Eternal Sunshine, Truman Show, Man on the Moon. I mean, all those things, yeah. all, all those roles, all those characters, you know, I think that they, they're much more fulfilling as far as watching an actor do something. Even if it's something that's more along the lines of what you expected from him, it's still, I think... A better performance overall and of course there are better movies too so that that helps so i think you know i'm like i get what you are all saying jason included but to me uh 
it's it's one of those things where it's like it's a two part. Mm-hmm. I I very much admire how how hard he goes at it, but I don't think that it works. And it's part of the movie, and it's part just that there's a limitation to you know what what he can do with with that character. Earth Girls are easy. That, that's I forgot about that movie. I saw that a few years ago for the first time. That's uh, he plays like an alien, and I don't know if he has any lines. It's that Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum, Damon Wayans, and uh, Jim Carrier, if I remember correctly, the aliens. And Gina Davis is the the lead gal. Real good looking. Sounds like a good time. Oh, yeah. It's fun. I can never remember. Um, Where do you stand on Batman Forever? I like it. Uh, Jim Carrey is a highlight. Okay. Excellent. Uh, Rewatching it, I think I, yeah, I discussed that in After Hours when I did my recent rewatch of all the Batman movies. And that was the main one where I was like, you know what? Fuck the haters. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I can understand coming off the Burton one, two, that that was definitely like an unexpected trip to, you know, a neon soaked Joel Schumacher dystopia, but it, it definitely has its merit. And I was going through his filmography because yeah, Jim Carrey is the highlight of that movie. Val Kilmer's pretty dope as Batman. He's not the best Batman, but, uh, Jim Carrey eats up all the scenery in that. And the reason I brought that up is because it was uh, Ace Ventura, The Mask, Dumb and Dumber, and Batman Forever. Uh, one, two, three, four. Ace, <laughs> Ace Ventura on a $15 million budget, $100 million. The Mask, $23 million budget, $350 million. <laughs> Dumb and Dumber, $17 million, $250 million. Batman Forever. $100 million budget for a return of $340 million. So to our original point and our thesis of all this, he seems like a sharp guy. According to the most updated report, his net worth is an approximate $180 million. That is definitely the type of money you don't got to do shit again if you don't want to. He can uh, he can buy and sell dark crimes 20 times over. <laughs> many, many times over. See, the real one is Charlotte Gainsbourg. It's like, what's your problem? Like, why, why, why did you do this movie? <laughs> well, that was, I was going to move on to that actually, because I think that she is actually giving a, a, a good performance. Uh, I don't have a problem with her performance. You know what I mean? Like, that's uh, with, with Jim Carrey, I can point at things that don't quite, like, he has high points, but then he has moments where, where it doesn't work or where the movie doesn't let him work. No. She's also handicapped by the movie because the movie is more interested in brutalizing her. So the best part of the movie is the end. Exactly. She she gets to deliver that monologue at the end. Uh, and she has a couple moments too, you know, the quiet moments uh, in between the abuse where she's just, she seems like a real person. <laughs> you know, she's she's beaten down and she, she, but she cares about her daughter and she has this kind of complicated relationship with this writer who may or may not have killed for her. And uh, she's good. And also, she seems to fit with this type of movie. That's where the, where the you know, the Jim Carrey persona gets in the way of you buying him as this uh, polished detective. But the Charlotte Gainsbourg persona doesn't. You know, especially if you know her as I do, mostly from Lars von Trier movies, this is just, oh, 100%, like the kind of thing that, that, I'm used to seeing from her, you know, just these gritty, morally blurry uh, dramas. So she fits in the movie better than Jim Carrey. 
and then she's given a better written character, I think, than Jim Carrey. So she she has an easier time of just giving me a, a really good impression. Uh, now, why is she making this movie? <laughs> I guess she doesn't have Jim Carrey's money. <laughs> How much do you think uh, they pay her for those Lord von Trier movies? Man, I don't know. I'd hope a lot. That's yeah. I mean, I, I, we're not here to talk about Charlotte Gainsbourg, but that, that's one of those. That there has to be some kind of relationship there that she keeps going back to that. And she must get some kind of artistic fulfillment from it because this movie, she's like <laughs> Melancholia, Antichrist, Nymphomaniac. That's not a, a crack up at the movies. Like, that's not like a fun time, you know, at the cinema. So there's got to be something to it. Yeah, I'm looking at her filmography. Uh, I was hoping that there'd be more there that I've seen, but really, it is the Von Trier movies, and that's it. <laughs> she, uh, her role in Independence Day, the Independence Day Resurgence sequel, was the same year as Dark Crimes. So the meager box office offering of Dark Crimes, I think, was probably compensated by the $400 million, uh, <laughs> that Independence Day made up. So I could see from her vantage point, though, that this might have looked appealing. Ooh, like a crime thriller and Jim Carrey's going to be in it. So why not? And it was uh, it was shot over 30 days, I think I read. So it's not like this was a, a massive time. Uh, the way of water, this was not. You know, boyhood. <laughs> it, it wasn't um, too taxing in the time. Still, it's interesting roles she takes or has taken, excuse me, uh, fairly regularly. The type of roles that you typically see someone do like once in a career. Um, mm-hmm. She's had several of them, which is fascinating i will say i will stick my finger out firmly and poke it in the chest (laughs) of alexandros avranas and jeremy brock the director and writer um eggs and bacon (laughs) just just lean all the way into it and just have him eat like a a heaping pile of pierogies like have some kind of like really stereotypical polish dish on there that's like you know honest to god and this is also extremely um not xenophobic <laughs> but like nationalist i did bacon and eggs i thought that was like a, an american breakfast you know there's like sausage or like you know something like that on there or, but that was honestly i thought he was an immigrant and like he was yep. eating bacon and eggs because that's what he was used to so yeah you put a big like honking blood sausage on there or a pierogi <laughs> i immediately i don't need to hear his accent i'm like all right this guy's local um <laughs> but i also like I, I have to respect the idea that uh avranas well, he's he's greek but still the idea of like we're gonna buck the trends here we're bringing bacon and eggs to fucking poland baby we're taking it back bacon eggs and carry yes you don't know what you're getting with this movie <laughs> and I bet you live in a little house. You wish you could have sex with your wife, but she's too old and you're too bored. And what the fuck? You can always jerk yourself off in the shower. I had a, on my notes. I I couldn't find a way to bring it up in Constraints Corner, but I was gonna call this the artsy Jade, just because the experience of watching this movie reminded me a little bit of Jade uh, in the sense that there's. Uh, I'm not going to say it made me appreciate Jade because that's not, you know, I had problems. I have serious problems with Jade and I still have them. But I think that for all those problems, Jade was a much easier watch than something like this because Jade didn't take itself so seriously. 
Mm-hmm. And, and granted, that was one of my problems with it. But I guess this is the other extreme. This is when you take yourself extremely seriously, and then but you're not good. So that makes it even harder to watch. Because with Jade, you know, we had like the, the, the fun stuff to fall back on. And uh, here there's, there's nothing. I mean, it's just misery and grimness. And yes, thankfully, it's only 90 minutes. But still, I saw a couple of comments on, I think it was an IMDb, just glancing. Because I wasn't really looking for quotes. But people saying that audiences that complain about the pacing of this movie, that it's too slow or whatever, they just don't get it. They don't get that this is a European movie, not a Hollywood movie. I'm like, that's not fair. I mean, no. that, that can't be your defense. <laughs> I don't mind it's slow. I just mind that it's not interesting. I only need to see Jim Carrey walking slowly around a, an empty apartment once, if mm-hmm. that. And there's just you said it when we started recapping the plot in Contrarian's Corner. There's not a whole lot going on. <laughs> yeah, very very bare. Also, yeah. you, you brought up Jade. I do need to mention our power, our far-reaching power is that Jade is now featured on the Criterion Network. I when I first read the headline, I thought Jade was getting like a full Criterion release, and I was like, "You got to be fucking kidding me!" But uh, <laughs> it is being featured for the month of March on the Criterion Network as one of their like erotic thrillers, and I was just, "Why not, man?" Baby steps. Yeah one one day. You got to get closer to that uh, Joe Escher house box set. Jade, Showgirls, Basic Instinct, Sliver. Man, all one and dones for me. <laughs> and then you throw in Dark Crimes as a, just as a bonus. It's like a wrapped with ribbon next to the, <laughs> around the box set like they used to do at Blockbuster. Well, if this if Dark Crimes got the Criterion treatment, the cover would have to be the Jim Carrey orgasm face. Of course. <laughs> and the essay would be by Joe Esterhaus. Yes, 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 yes. About how it like rejuvenated and reignited uh, <laughs> his love of filmmaking. Um, no, no, no. Yeah, the cover would be the orgasm face and then the disc art would be him like crying against the door, like f- falling <laughs> with, you know, the, the faint sea around the the disc the edge of it <laughs> yeah uh did you did you see what the the true story was that that this is based on no but yeah it's um the uh piece by david gran but mm-hmm. i guess yeah i'm not familiar with the true story well i, I didn't dig too deep either but it basically it's the the idea that there was a murder they couldn't figure out who it was. And then after they closed the case, years later, there was a book <laughs> that, that, written by someone that had the details of the murder in a way that only the murderer could know. <laughs> was this O.J. Simpson? <laughs> <laughs> if I did it. <laughs> uh, that's That's a really good starting point for a movie. And then they went ahead and made the movie about Jim Carrey, the Jim Carrey character. I mean, that's a valid choice, but why not just make it a a, a thriller? Yes, it's less, it's a little more standard, but I think it would be more successful, especially if you're going to kind of wade up to your knees in the the smut and the sex dungeons and all this stuff, you know? Uh, I think that they would have been, you know, give it to David Fincher and let him do something that's a little more entertaining. I mean, the the... 
director and cinematographer on this clearly watched uh, David Fincher movies on repeat. That's the. <laughs> I was trying to think of a way to be funny about that, and it really is just like the the muted color palette of this, mm-hmm. which is something Fincher can do, but you don't. He's such a brilliant filmmaker, you don't notice it. Like Zodiac's a great example of like the scenes in that when they're outside. It's always like gloomy and cloudy, or at least seems that way, just because it's so the whole movie has this overcast to it. But you don't like notice it until you go back and rewatch it and you're picking things from it with this. I was just like, uh, it's a movie where you end up having to entertain yourself by finding things in it because mm-hmm. what's happening on the screen is just not holding your attention. And I guess that's my point. That. That's not my point. That is the point. All of the great filmmakers have tropes that are very obvious and they have their styles that they like to use and typically fall back on that you don't notice until like conversation calls for it because what you're watching is typically great. When someone try in a movie like this tries to replicate that or put their own spin on it and the movie sucks, you're going to find yourself going like, all right, then what's the, what's the point of everything being like dark blue and dark green? Like what the, what are we dealing with here? So it's a live by the sword, die by the sword type thing. It's, I appreciate an effort to make it stylized, but when your movie's not good, it's going to end up making me be like, fuck off. Well, it's such an oppressive atmosphere too that it just it works against you, you know. Like if the story doesn't have you, the movie is almost like trying to put you to sleep. So yeah, yeah, exactly. And see, the real trick is you make a movie like London where there is merit to your movie, but you stylize it so much that we still say "fuck off." <laughs> you gotta you gotta strike the right balance. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I'm gonna call out. The one last negative thing here, and that is the utter stupidity of the the big reveal that Jim Carrey hadn't checked this guy's alibi. That is idiotic. Insane. Yes. That, how do you what you know? You, you I've said this before, but that's the kind of thing that you put on a first draft, and then you're like, we'll figure out a better excuse, a better reasoning behind this later on, on the next rewrite. How how is it that the, the investigation is allowed to proceed without that vital bit of information being checked? And I know they try to kind of wallpaper over it because this uh, this guy Peter tells him, "Why do you think I gave you the case? You know, I knew that you were gonna fuck it up, and you know, you're obsessed, and I had you." So it's kind of like making sure that make it sound like they've been pulling the strings for this sort of thing to happen, but still. Jim Carrey himself, he should have noticed that he hadn't checked this guy's alibi. <laughs> and it's not like this dude's a recluse. He's a public figure. Right. <laughs> he was not in the country when the murder was happy- was committed. That's like, I thought when he got handed that paper that there was going to, it was like, a, that it was today's paper. And the story was there was an identical killing or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like something yeah. that would, you know, kind of tantalize and then it was just like no one showed you this paper beforehand and you didn't do your research <laughs> He's like, do, you, do you not see how easy it is like the, the shit you and i constantly find out on the fly about these movies we're doing it's not hard jim carrey's excuse his response is he was such a compelling suspect <laughs> he came back the day after and you didn't check it <laughs> 
He was a very compelling suspect. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. So comes down to the moment of truth, Julio. Does that, are you part of the 0% crowd? Is this a half star? Is this a no rating? How are you going to go about your final verdict on dark crimes? That's a good question. I I honestly hadn't. Usually, as I'm watching a movie, I, I have the rating kind of going up and down in my head. And that didn't happen here. I don't know if it's because I was never invested enough <laughs> to even think about the rating or or because I was trying so hard to just take notes and you know try to find stuff in it that I, I wasn't thinking about it. But whatever the case, it's it's not a good movie. I'm not gonna not rate it because I definitely I get it, you know? <laughs> and it's not like this movie wasn't for me. I mean it was I should have enjoyed it. I like the actors. I like uh Jim Carrey. I, I think that the potential for the story was there. So it's just they just blew it. Cue Robert De Niro. You blew it. Mm. You had Jim Carrey in your movie, and it was only $4 million, and you couldn't do something good. Uh, I think it's going to be one star. What did I give Jade? I think I gave Jade like one and a half. And it makes me sad to rate this lower than Jade, because I think that this movie has more uh, noble ambitions than Jade. <laughs> but it's also less well made and i guess that makes sense because you know jade ultimately was directed by william friedkin Mm -hmm. and so (laughs) that guy i mean has has a lot under his belt so yeah i'm gonna land on one star i am sadly part of the the green splotch group because i'm part of the zero percent how about you um i was i can't figure it like d minus or an f i So what would make it a D minus? The the intensity, the commitment of Jim Carrey's performance? The commitment of his performance and I really do like the final scene where Charlotte Gainsbourg explains everything. And the instant cut to end credits. Yes, and that that was about to say the other thing is the runtime is a massive plus. So yeah, I guess I'll go with a D minus. When I log it on Letterbox, it'll probably get one star. Um, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not gonna call it a complete failure because there's things about this to the proper audience. I would say, yeah, you should check this out. Um, don't expect a good movie, uh, <laughs> right. but but there's things about it that are interesting and that will stick with you beyond uh, Jim Jim Carrey's orgasm. <laughs> That's a problem. Like I wouldn't recommend it because you're right. Yeah, to the right audience, right? So you're talking about somebody that wouldn't be turned off by the fact that this movie features a lot of graphic, violent sex scenes. So if that's not a problem, I can't recommend it as a good movie, though, because it may feature that, but it's not a good use of those elements. Mm-hmm. The only reason I would recommend it is like as, as this curiosity, as this thing that Jim Carrey did in, you know, if you're not a Jim Carrey fan, you probably won't even get anything out of that. But then again, who's not a Jim Carrey fan? Everybody <laughs> loves Jim Carrey. Oh, <laughs> uh, he's the the pizza of filmmaking. Everyone loves pizza. There you go. And if you if you say you don't love pizza with marinara sauce, guess what? They'll put ranch dressing on that bitch, or Alfredo sauce, or barbecue Alfredo sauce. Alfredo sauce. We'll find something that you like, man. There's a way to do it. So, Jason. Hell of a piece of business you you tasked us with here. Most importantly, we hope you enjoyed the episode. 
And um, yeah, thanks for being a patron. Thanks for bringing it to us. Another zero percenter in the books, Julio. Yes. <laughs> gun to the back of your head. You got to watch this or uh, Left Behind. Are you saying pull the trigger? Or are you picking a movie? <laughs> oh no, I'll pick a movie. And it's just funny after fifty minutes of just railing against this movie, I would pick this one, and that's because even with all its failures, it has so much more substance than Left Behind. I Left Behind is interested in things that I have zero interest in. You know, the religious aspect just doesn't work for me. Even with a, a pretty decent Nicolas Cage performance. Like here. This movie also know, looks better. Uh, after just talking mad shit about the presentation <laughs> of it, it still it looks better than Left Behind does. Because remember how like how much bad green screen is in mm-hmm. Left Behind? Yeah. Yeah. Would you say Cage is as committed in Left Behind as Jim Carrey is committed to this one? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's not there for the paycheck. Oh, I mean, he is there for the paycheck, but I think that he takes it seriously enough. Oh, he does. Remember when we talked about it, the um, there was like the the interview with him where he talked about like it was something he had been interested in for. It was some somehow a passion project of his and something he was really mm-hmm. interested in. But no, I didn't get the same level of commitment. Also, the role asked for less, you know. Right. So it's uh, my God, it's. 11.43 p.m. and we're debating the merits of Left Behind <laughs> and Dark Crimes. Listeners, let us know. <laughs> this is the, the contest of the, the, the bottom of the barrel. Left Behind or Dark Crimes? Who is she, Dad? She's Koslov's girlfriend. He's been threatening her. You take one more step and I am out. All right. Dark Crimes in the books. One for the books, I tell you what. But time to look to the future, Julio. What's up next? Coming up next, a fresh movie. The the patron takeover continues with Katie and Otie throwing a movie that you've seen, Alex. You did a QVR for it. Uh, but of course, a QVR is just a quick video review. It's not a fully fleshed contrarians episode. Uh, we're going to be talking about Riders of Justice, a Matt Mickelson vehicle uh, that kind of fucking i don't know if it took the world by storm but it got awesome. pretty awesome movie well there you go that's your spoiler for real talk alex really liked it <laughs> well if you're a patron you know i'd like yes. I, w- I went full jim carrey watching that movie <laughs> <laughs> yes um it's a fresh movie so of course alex is going to have to go against his true opinions in Contreras corner and, and i'll t- because of that qvr i now own the blu-ray of it so i can just pop that off the shelf fantastic i think it's a hulu original or, or yeah. Hulu has distribution rights because it's it's still in hulu so that's that's coming up next it's a fresh movie we'll be saying bad things about it in the corner and we'll have a, a serious discussion about it in real talk including the the question is it a christmas movie i know you said you were going to add it to your christmas rotation alex but I, i'm curious to see if that actually happened or if you uh, oh, had yeah. second thoughts mads mickelson bringing full-on daddy appeal to the next episode. (laughs) Daddy Mickelson coming up next in the Contrarians. All right. Well, that's on deck next, but I think that wraps up Dark Crimes and this episode. So let's get on out of here by moving into perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years who provide our opening and closing tracks. 
They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster Hans Rothieser is the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page, that little tomato looking at himself in the mirror. That's Hans's handiwork. If you want to check out more of his art, you can check his website, mildemonios.pe. That's M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S dot P-E. You find links to his podcasts, Nación Combi and Living in Peru. Uh, one is about Peruvian current affairs. The other one is about economy and also information about his novels. Uh, he's a fantasy writer, uh, writes mostly about zombies, and other sorts of cool stuff. Uh, and of course, he's an artist. So if you want to just reach out to him so he can do a logo for you or draw some comics, do that. You can reach him on Twitter at Mildemonios or by email at Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. Hans, thank you for all your support. LateNightGrin.com. Joe and the boys over there. I was uh, just last night on an episode of Grin Grappler where we discussed the life and career of the famed 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and 2020s wrestler Sting. Uh, not the musician, although there is a great picture of uh, the musician Sting with the wrestler Sting in a headlock. It's fantastic. Who has uh, who in the headlock? Th- that's the, the, the punchline is that the musician has the wrestler in the headlock. So it's excellent. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's fucking Sting. He's synonymous with the uh, sport of kings. And uh, we talked for almost three hours about his career last night. It was, it was a good time. Uh, but they continue to support us. They always, Joe and Devin and Rob always make sure to give me time to plug our podcast, promote the contrarians. And they do a lot to you know, retweet and help spread the word. So we like to do the same for them. LateNightGrin.com for all your pro wrestling needs. And it's uh, that time of the year. WrestleMania is here, and also the fallout is usually a news-heavy time. So if that's a, an area of interest for you, those guys got you covered. And having us covered, our social media assistants, not interns. Team. team. That's right. Our crack squad. Zoe Perez, <laughs> and of course, uh, Corey Ari, who's been helping uh, with our videos recently, putting together. Uh, we have our first short, which Julie and I explain that Tobin Bell makes sure everyone he's ever met knows that he was in Goodfellas. So, <laughs> great looking stuff, man. Like, I, I always say better than what Julio and I could put together. So, Zoe, Corey, we appreciate the work that you do for us. Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Instagram at Contrarian Prime. YouTube.com slash at Contrarian Prime. Uh, our Twitter's and our bumper. So, you guys know where to find us. And when you see those pages and the graphics, videos, what have you, that are on there, know that uh, Corey and Zoe put a lot of work into those for us and that we appreciate it greatly. And as always, we appreciate you the listening public for tuning in for yet another episode of The Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>